I want to say good morning to those of you who are in the room and those of you who are watching. And as of, How many of you were here last Sunday? Just hold your hand up. Okay. Well, as you can imagine, I stirred up a little bit of a hornet's nest last Sunday <laughs> and uh, got a couple of emails. Uh, gracious, they were fine. And I just want to say a word to all of you who are watching, who were watching last week. Certainly, I understand that there are people out there who physically are not able to come to church. You have pre-existing conditions. I get that. I understand that, okay? But I'm not going to apologize for saying, if you can go everywhere else, you can go to church. And, 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 and let me just say this. Let me say this. I'm not here to get back in a frying pan again. I'm not trying to do that at all. I don't take a stand on the vaccine. I've been vaccinated. If you have not been vaccinated, that's fine. If you don't say it, you're one of those people who say, I'm not getting the vaccine, that's fine. No problem. But I don't have any patience with people who say, I'm not going to get vaccinated, but I'm not going to come to church because I'm scared of the COVID. You don't, that, that, no, 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 that doesn't work for me. Sorry, it doesn't work. You cannot have it both ways. So there is this command that we ought to come together and that we ought to be in church. We're going to do everything we can, I promise you, as a church, to make it as safe as we possibly can. By the way, some are asking, so what are you doing about, you know, where we are with COVID right now? If you'll just go to this website, it's called buildcp.org. We'll tell you about all the protect, uh, protective measures that we are doing right now to make sure that you are safe. And uh, we do look forward to starting back with two services on September the 12th. So as we begin, about a century ago when the tobacco industry was booming in America, you had a choice. Every person had a choice. You could either be a smoker or a non-smoker. Very easy to you know, decide what you want to do. But beginning in 1965, researchers determined that those two categories were not as neatly divided as we thought they were. Because they discovered, this has been what, 60, almost 60 years ago, that there's what's called secondhand smokers. I was a secondhand smoker. I've never smoked in my life, but my dad did. And so there were non-smokers who lived or worked in close proximity smokers, and so they were exposed to cigarette smoke, and that also carried serious risk. We thought that was the end of the problem, but there was another problem. In recent years, scientists have now identified third-hand smokers. Researchers have discovered that when tobacco is smoked indoors, residual nicotine and other chemicals accumulate on surfaces. And according to the Mayo Clinic, and I'm quoting, this residue is thought to react with common indoor pollutants to create a toxic mix, including cancer-causing compounds posing a potential health hazard to non-smokers, especially children. Now, what does that all mean? That means if you are like me and you're a never smoker, you've never touched a cigarette, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls who do. So you're just a clean, clean person. Doesn't matter. You can be contaminated by the chemicals. You may even carry the odor of cigarette smoke that lingers long uh, after the smoking stops if you've been in the presence of people who are smoking. So here's the point. If you're around this secondhand smoke long enough or where people have been smoking long enough, this smoke can cling to your clothes. You can smell it. It can be on your skin. So you may have never smoked in your life, but if you've been around it long enough, people can tell that you have whether you have or whether you haven't. In other words, they know where you've been and they know who you've been with. 
When I read that, I was reminded of something that happened in the book of Acts. And if you brought a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn. It's right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're in Acts chapter 4. There's this amazing thing that happened to two men in the Bible. They were named Peter and John. If you don't know much about the Bible, Jesus had 12 disciples. Two of them were Peter and John. They were really two of Jesus' closest friends. Now, Jesus loved everybody, but everybody's got close friends. Peter and John were very, very close to Jesus. They spent three years with Jesus, and even after law, even after Jesus was already gone, long after he was gone, the spirit of Jesus and the aroma of Jesus lingered on them. They, he was still there. And so we're going to share this story right now in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Let me kind of set it up. It's been about two months since Jesus was crucified, died, came back from the grave, and it's been about two months since he bid farewell to the disciples, and he's ascended back into heaven. Now, in the eyes of many, Jesus was just a momentary blip on the screen of time, uh, just another religious fanatic who had come, who had gone. Pilate had washed his hands of him. The Pharisees were glad to be rid of him. Most people no longer even thought about him because he wasn't the political Messiah that they were looking for. And so Jesus, everybody thought, well, he's gone. But he wasn't forgotten. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, they thought that crucifixion was the aspirin that had eliminated their headache. Jesus is no longer a problem. But now these two men come along and give them another migraine. They thought to themselves, we thought we had gotten rid of this Jesus. But what happened was, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and John are now going all over Jerusalem, healing the sick, teaching the truth, preaching the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead. And the problem was, people were not just listening to them preach, they were believing what they said. And they were repenting, and they were turning away from their Judaistic faith, and they were placing their faith in this risen Lord. So the story begins in Acts chapter 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they interrupt the sermon. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, let me just stop. Let's put this in perspective. Why were they thrown in jail? All they were doing was witnessing to what they had seen, the Jesus they had seen, the Jesus they had heard, the Jesus they experienced, and the Jesus that they knew. So they're thrown in jail. Well, the next day, they are brought to court. And here they are being interrogate, interrogated by these PhDs, these brilliant Hebrew scholars, the keepers of the law, the best lawyers that, that they could hire. But they found out real quickly they were no match for 200 uneducated fishermen who maybe could barely sign their name, who were filled with the Spirit of God, who preached the Word of God, who testified to the Son of God. And what happened was these men, these Pharisees, these Sadducees thought, we're going to be the interrogators, and they were, but Peter and John became the intimidators. Here's what happened. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, they're sitting there thinking, we got PhDs. You guys didn't even go to high school. They were unschooled. 
ordinary men. No influence, no money, no power, no famous last names. They were astonished. Now watch this. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. The guy's been dead and gone for two months. But they took note. These men had been with Jesus. What an amazing statement. When you got around these men, you could smell the aroma of Jesus. When you got around these men, you could see the radiance of Jesus. When you got around these men, you could hear the voice of Jesus. These, these, these Pharisees and Sadducees had to admit there is something radically different about these men. Their lives were Christ-captured, Christ-consumed, Christ-controlled, Christ-centered. And it was not their personality. It was not their popularity. It was not their persuasiveness that was so amazing. The only thing that was different, but it was radically different, was these men had to admit, we don't get it, we don't understand it, but you have been with Jesus. Now, here's my question to you. When people are around you, can they tell who you've been with? When people are around you, just everyday walk of life, not church, work, play, golf course, doesn't matter. Can people tell you have been with Jesus? I want to tell you, when people are around me, I want people to know I have been with Jesus. So that raises the big question you're asking right now. How can people know that I've been with Jesus. I, I want that in my life, Pastor, but how can I make that happen? Here's what you're going to see. This is going to be so practical for us today because you're going to see today that what was true of those men should be, will be, and can be true of you if you've been with Jesus because when you read what happened, you'll find out there are three marks of a person who has been with Jesus. Now, I want to encourage you to write these three things down, all right? Number one, if you've been with Jesus, you will have the compassion to serve humbly. If you've been with Jesus, you will have the compassion to serve humbly. Now, let's go back to the beginning of the story. Why did these guys get in trouble? Well, all they did was they healed a man who had been lame for 40 years. Because you, when you go back to the beginning of the third chapter, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, introduces us to a beggar. This man has been lame since he was born. He's been crippled since he was born. He's not been able to walk since he was born. Well, Peter and John are going to the temple, and they pass by this guy sitting there because he can't walk. And, 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 and so the man asked them, asked them for money. He says, can you give me some money? I, I need money. I need help. He was asking for a handout. So Peter looks at him and tells the truth. He says, sir, we're broke. We're just two fishermen, and, 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 and we don't have any money. That's the bad news. But the good news is, we can give you what money can't buy. And so we read this. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now you can imagine what happened. Remember, they're in the temple square. People are everywhere, kind of like a mall. And when people saw and heard what happened, Everybody came running from everywhere to hear what these two men had to say. Now, they let them know right quick, we didn't heal this guy. This Jesus that you crucified, this Jesus that came back from the dead, he's the one that healed this guy. And so they began to preach the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now, let me just stop right there. 
Before I go any further, keep in mind, back in those days, beggars were considered burdens. Beggars were seen as a drag on society. So this man had been sitting there for who knows how long, 30, 40 years. People passed him by all the time. Most people knew who this guy was. They knew his name. But day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, they'd walk by this guy. They wouldn't even look at him. They would not talk to him. They would not think about giving him any money. They paid no attention to him. And all of a sudden, these two men walked by, and they stopped. And they focus. And they say, we're going to meet your need. Peter and John took the time to show this man compassion. And one of the things of all the many things you have to love about Jesus, one of the things that stands out about the life of Jesus was how Jesus took time for ordinary, run-of-the-mill, dime-a-dozen individuals. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, I'm reading through the Gospels right now. So many of the stories of Jesus, you know what they're all about? It's the same thing over and over and over. It's Jesus interacting with one person, a Zacchaeus up in a tree, a man born blind, a man who's been lame from birth, a woman who's had an issue with blood for 12 years. It's the same thing over and over and over. And here's what you've got to love about Jesus. Jesus wasn't too big for anybody. He was never too busy for anybody. He was never too burdened for anybody. So I just want to give you a thought. We need a vision like Jesus, who had a telescopic view of the whole world, but he had a microscopic insight into every single individual. I made a promise to the Lord when I went into the ministry, and I've tried to keep it. I said, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with me. I mean, my first church I, first church I pastored, you could have fit on the first three rows of this, 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 this place right here. I mean, it's just a, we ran about 40 people. In the middle of, I mean, I, I pastored in Tick Ridge, Kentucky. You, 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 it's not a tourist trap, trust me. And I said, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with me. This may be the largest church I'll ever pastor. But I said, Lord, no matter what, I don't, I don't ever want to get too busy for the least and for the last and for the law. So how can you tell if you've been with Jesus? I'll tell you how. You're willing to take time for people for who the rest of the world is too busy. Don't want to be bothered. Don't want to be burdened. And notice something else. They did what they could to meet this man's needs. If the man had been hungry, they would have fed him. If he'd been naked, they would have clothed him. If he'd been thirsty, they would have given him something to drink. If he'd been an immigrant, they would have taken him in. That's why our church ministers to the homeless in downtown Atlanta. That's why we feed and clothe people in our careport ministry. It's why we support Obria, which is the, the women's medical center. They come alongside pregnant women and give them not just advice and prayer, but financial resources and practical help during and after pregnancy. It's why we're a financial contributor to that ministry. See, Jesus was a servant at heart, and he had a servant's heart. One of the most amazing things Jesus said was, I did not come to be served. But, but Lord, you're, you're the Son of God. You created the world. We ought to serve you. That's not why I came. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So I want to ask you a question right now. And just, just be honest. Could you say right now, you have been with Jesus? Now, before you say yes, let me ask you a question. Everybody buckle your seatbelt. You say you've been with Jesus? Yep. So where are you serving right now? 
I knew I wouldn't get an amen to that. That's okay. Where are you serving? How many of you, you come here and you leave, and you come here and you leave, and you come here and you leave. Don't serve anywhere. Don't do anything. If you've been with Jesus, you have a compassion to serve. So where are you serving? In our church. Where are you serving in your community? Where are you serving in your neighborhood? See, if you're like Jesus, you have a compassion to serve humbly. Yeah, we're going after it. We're gonna, we don't know what's going to happen. We may fall flat on our face, but we're going back to two services on September the 12th. You know what? That doesn't just happen. We need volunteers. We need some people to come back and start serving. We need scores of people. And I'm calling on you right now. I'm sounding the trumpet. If you're one of those folks right now and you say, you know what, Pastor? I'm not serving anywhere at all, but I want to be like Jesus. I want people to know I've been with Jesus. Then do this for me. Just write this down or go to it when you get time. Go to crosspointchurch.com slash serve now. And just find a place and pray over a place and say, you know, I can do that. I can serve there. Here's what I do know. If Jesus Christ physically came to this church, he would be serving somewhere. If you've been with Jesus, you have this compassion to serve humbly. Number two, if you've been with Jesus, you'll have the courage to stand boldly. You will have the courage to stand boldly. Now, you would have thought everybody would have been happy, right? Here's a man who's been lame. He's been at the same spot year after year after year, no telling how many years, and he's finally been healed. You would have thought everybody would have been thrilled. Everybody would have been happy. It would have been on the front page of the, of the Jerusalem Journal. And I mean, everybody would have just been stoked. But that actually ignited the fire because once again, what's happened? Jesus has been taken off the cross. He's been taken out of the tomb, and he's back in full force. And people, the religious leaders, don't like it. So Peter and John are arrested. Now they're standing in this courtroom, and it's a mismatch from the beginning. Because these fishermen, they were not feeble, and they were not frail. They were fearless. And now, this is what I love. It was the defendants that put the judges on trial. You, you got to love this. Let's read it again. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, that doesn't come from you, it comes from Jesus. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note, these men had been with Jesus. Now, listen to how they're described. Unschooled means exactly what it says. No education, lack of education, little education. And then, ordinary that is, they, were, they had no degree, they had no pedigree, no social position. They don't have any money, they don't have any influence, they're not known down at City Hall, they never get interviewed by the newspaper. They're just two simpletons from the boondocks standing before the richest, most educated, and most powerful men in the entire nation of Israel. And this is what blows my mind. Were they intimidated? No, they weren't intimidated. They were intimidating. I mean, they were rocking their world because what they saw before them was this uncommon courage. And then they take this stand. Then, to, you know, you would think they at least would just say, can we just maybe get out of here with our skin on? But no, you know what they do? 
they pour kerosene on the fire because they take this stand. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. How do you think that made those Pharisees feel? What do you think that did to those Sadducees standing there who didn't believe in Jesus? The Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. And oh, by the way, it would tick off the rest of the world because there was a multiplicity of religious beliefs out there. And there was this thinking was one religion just as good as another. All paths lead to God. You go your way. We'll go ours. And Peter and John said, nope, that's not the way it works. There's only one word of salvation, and that is the name of Jesus. There's only one way of salvation, that is the death of Jesus. There's only one work of salvation, that is the resurrection of Jesus. And let me just be honest with you. We're living in a country today more than ever in my lifetime. If you're going to take a stand for Jesus, you better put on your big boy britches. You better do it with the public schools. You better do it with universities and colleges. You better do it with a newspaper. You better do it with a politically correct crowd. You better do it with the people who say you better get along, go along if you want to get along. Because I'm telling you right now, that's the day that we live in. Because there is no statement in all of the Bible that's more infuriating, more intolerant, more intrusive to the religious world and non-religious world than this statement. Go back 2,000 years ago. The Romans had all these gods. They wouldn't like that statement. The Greeks wouldn't like it with all their gods. And the Jews certainly wouldn't like it because they didn't even believe Jesus was God. But these men, they didn't care what the world thought. They didn't go along to get along. Someone once said to the great defender of Christianity, Athanasius, they said, Athanasius, because of Jesus, the whole world is against you. And Athanasius said, because of Jesus, I'm against the whole world. When you have been with Jesus, you have the courage to stand boldly. Now, let's be honest. In a way, you really couldn't have blamed Peter and John if they just sat down and shut up instead of standing up and speaking up. Because now remember who they're against here, right? They're against the priest and the captain of the temple guard. And the Sadducees. Well, now, who, who's the captain of the temple police? He was like the head of the KGB. He was one of the most feared and powerful men in all of Israel. The, the captain of the temple guard could have you put to death instantaneously, no trial, no defense. He could have you killed on the spot. If you transgressed or trespassed on triple, temple property, which is exactly what these men were doing. But then they go from the prying fan to the fire. The next day, you're talking about ganging up on somebody. The rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. This is the Jewish Supreme Court. They brought every big gun they've got. Annas, the former high priest, Caiaphas, his son-in-law. By the way, you remember who they were? They were the ringleaders in the crucifixion of Jesus. So you've got all these political leaders, and you've got all these religious leaders, and they're telling them, sit down and shut up. How does that relate to us? 
If you're going to stand for Jesus today, you're going to make enemies in high places. You can, if you're going to take a stand for Jesus, let me just tell you right now, forget the media. They're not going to be there to help you. Don't bother with Instagram or Facebook or Twitter because they'll come with you at you with a vengeance as well. And you may as well write off the politicians that you won't be able to find them anywhere. The principals, the professors, they won't be coming to your Christmas party. You want to win a popularity contest. You want to be put on the boardroom of Fortune 500 companies. You want to get favorable reviews in your newspapers. You want to be socially accepted and politically correct. I'll tell you how to do it. Don't take a stand for Jesus. That's not the route that works. And you won't unless you've been with Jesus. But when you've been with Jesus, you'll have the courage to stand boldly for Jesus. Now, that may be to some of you bad news, but let me tell you the great news. When you stand for Jesus, he'll stand with you. When you stand for Jesus, he will stand with you. And can I just be really honest? And I'm not fussing anybody. Shoe fits wear it. To me, this may be the biggest problem in the 21st century church. Because we've got so many people today. Well, you come to church and you'll bring your Bible and you might even say amen and you'll sing the songs and you'll leave. But you'll go back into a world and you don't stand up and you don't speak up. You sit down and you shut up. You go along to get along. You don't want the heat. You don't want the fire. By the grace of God, I'm just being I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm just telling you. I'd rather be in trouble standing for Jesus and standing with Jesus than out of trouble running from Jesus. I'm just not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the Jesus of the gospel. Peter Marshall, the former chaplain of the United States Senate, once prayed this. He said, Dear Lord, give us clear vision that we may know where to stand and what to stand for, because unless we stand for something, we will fall for anything. And I'm watching church after church after church, and sometimes preacher after preacher after preacher, and I'm watching Christian after Christian after Christian. They're falling for everything because they won't stand for anything. When you have been with Jesus, you have the courage to stand boldly. Here's the last thing. When you've been with Jesus, you'll have the conviction to speak truthfully. You have the conviction to speak truthfully. Now understand, the real reason Peter and John got in hot water, it was not because of the miracle that they performed. That wasn't what got them in hot water. It was because of the message they, they preached. Go back to verse 2. They were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the guy was healed. They didn't care about that one way or the other. Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, let me just kind of help you. This is a good lesson for you to teach your kids and your grandkids. You better teach them early. The world has no problem with Jesus. None. As long as he's not on a cross or he's not out of a tomb. But if you put Jesus on that cross and you bring Jesus out of that tomb, then you know what you have to say if you do that right. You know what? There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There is no other way to God except through Jesus. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And guess what? When you say that, what else are you saying? Every other religion is false. 
Every other religion is a dead-end street. You can be sincere in it. You can practice it. You can love it. You can do it. But it will get you nowhere. And no other religious te teacher, no other religious preacher, no other religious leader should ever be followed except Jesus. So then they try to cut a deal with Peter and John. Here's the deal. And by the way, it's the same deal the world will try to cut with you. Here's the deal. Then they called him in again and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. See if this doesn't sound familiar today. Here's what they said. Look, you can talk about God. You can promote religion. You can teach people how to lead and, and, and live better lives, but don't talk about Jesus. That's where the flashpoint was then. That's where the flashpoint is today. That's where the flashpoint will be a thousand years from now. Now, the way they responded is the way we ought to respond. I love this. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love sanctified smart alecks. I love them. <laughs> they said, boys, you can crack your whips. You can shoot your arrows. You can fire your guns. But read our lips. We will never shut up about Jesus. That's just not going to happen. Now, let's just get it all out there. There's a cost to that. Because when you talk about the Son of God, guess what? You have to talk about the Word of God. Because the Son of God was all about the Word of God. Well, guess what? When you talk about the Word of God, then you have to talk about the truth of God, because God's Word is truth. And in this postmodern age in which we're living, we all know this, truth is not real high on people's radar screens today. Truth is no longer a rock that stands firm and never moves no matter what other people think. Today, truth is a flag, and it just blows whichever way the wind is moving. So that's why one day a politician can say, I am pro-life. But the next day, a politician can say, I believe in a woman's right to choose to take an unborn life. It's why one day a politician can say, I believe in traditional marriage and marriage should be between a man and a woman, but then turn around five years later and say, I believe in equality, and I believe men should be able to marry men, and we should be able to marry women, and we call it the same thing. We call it marriage. Because that's the age, that's the day in which we live. And if you speak truth today, you're going to be spitting into the wind. And I'm not telling you that you don't know. We're living in a day when many politicians are driven by polls. Many pastors and, and, and preachers are driven by popularity. So a politician can be for one thing today and against something tomorrow. And here's what's happened. The rock of conviction has been dissolved by the acid of compromise and covered with a blanket of cowardice. That's exactly where we are. Listen, I'm preaching to me right now. I'm talking to me. And I'm talking to some of you pastors that hear me. It's tough to be a pastor today that's going to stand on truth. It's tough to be a New Testament godly leader that God wants you to be. Because we are vastly outnumbered. And I'm not griping when I say this. I'm just giving you facts you don't know. The ratio of senior pastors to all other Americans, including minors, 
is 1 to 963. So for every 963 people in America, there's one pastor, senior pastor. And I talk to them all the time. Pastors are afraid of teaching about certain topics because of negative reactions. This broke my heart. In a recent study, 40% of Protestant pastors and over 50% of Catholic priests said, listen to this, they frequently or occasionally feel limited in their ability to speak out about moral or social issues out of concern that people will take offense. Even more disheartening, two-thirds of pastors in Catholic and Protestant churches said they are more concerned about how people inside the church will react to their message than there are people outside the church that react to their message. Now, I want to be careful what I say here because I don't want to sound arrogant in any way. I don't want to sound like I'm trying to pick a fight. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm going to be preaching on some things in, the, in this next year, and I want to go ahead and tell you, we're going to lose some people. I was going to tell you that right up front. Some of you will not be able to take some things next year because you've fallen into this trap, but, but they're so nice, and they're so sweet, and they're so good. And we should love them. And all those things may be true. In fact, the last one is, we ought to love everybody. But if you're looking for a pastor that's going to affirm what God condemns, you need to find another pastor. I'm not going to do that. If you're looking for a pastor, listen, I'm not trying to get the applause. I'm just being honest with you. Part of it is, look at my age and stage of life. What have I got to prove? I don't need this job. It's not a job, it's calling it. I don't need to do this. But I'm going to give an account for my ministry one day. And I'd rather stand before God and have God say to me, James, you just believe the Bible too much than say, James, you believe the Bible too little. I'd rather stand before God one day and God say to me, James, you preach the Bible too much than to say, James, you preach the Bible too little. Yeah, there have been times I sat down when I should have stood up. There are times I should have have spoken up. You know what I realized my problem was looking back? I just hadn't been with Jesus. I had gotten away from Jesus. See, what's so amazing about Peter and John? Listen to this. They they let these guys go. They realize, okay, there's nothing we can do. We're done. We're cooked. So they let them go. Well, you would think when they let them go that Peter and John would have prayed a prayer like this, right? God, thank you for freeing me. Thank you for protecting me. Please don't let anything like this ever happen to me again. You would think that's what they would have prayed, right? I want you to listen to what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You know what they said? Bring it on. We're not only not going to shut up, we're going to talk even louder. And that's how you can pray for me, that prayer right there. So let me again ask you a question. We're going to wrap all this up. Who have you been with? Who have you been with? I mean, can we all be honest? I'm I'm, going to say something just hard, but it's just true. If Congress passed a law today that you could never, ever say a word about Jesus to anybody again, it would not affect most people in this room. True or false? It doesn't affect me. I won't say much about Jesus anyway. Because most Christians don't. 
I told the Lord this morning, I said, Lord, if they ever were to pass a law saying I can't say a word about Jesus, I have one prayer. I want to be public enemy number one. I want my picture up at the post office. I want to be wanted dead or alive. Unless, you, again, we're just being honest. The reason why a lot of people never say anything about Jesus, they never stand for truth, is because we're afraid of what people will say about us. And we're afraid of what people will say against us. I'm just going to say two things to that and move on. Number one, we ought to be more afraid of what God will say to us one day if we don't. And number two, I'd rather displease God. I'd rather uh, displease, uh, disappoint God. Uh, I'd rather displease the world than disappoint God. That's just where I am. So I want to ask you a question. And this is the big question. Now we're going to get real practical. Are you willing to live a life and live your life in such a way that every day people will know that you've been with Jesus. Now, you, listen, be careful. You're a football player in high school. You're a high school teacher. No, I'm not asking you to do I'm not asking you to break a law in your school. I'm not asking you to, you know, you're not to get up every Sunday. Your job's not to preach the gospel in your class. Your job's to teach your class. That's not where I'm going. But I do want to warn you. If you do it, you will stand out. If you do it, you will become a target. If you do it, it will cost you some goodwill. It may cost you a friendship. It will cost you discomfort. And I got news for you. Yeah, there are some people who think you're just slap nuts. But I love what Francis Chan said. Having faith often means doing what others see as crazy. Something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. How true is that? So when you've been with Jesus, here's what will happen. You'll have the compassion to serve humbly. You will have the courage to stand boldly. You'll have the, courage, the conviction to speak truthfully. And here's the great news. There will be nobody to fear. There will be no apology to make. There will be no excuse to be given because the Jesus that you have been with is the Jesus that will be with you. Would you pray with me right now? With heads bowed and with eyes closed. To those of you who are watching online right now, to those of you who are in this room, let me just make a statement. You cannot be with someone you really don't know. You can be in their presence, but you haven't really been with someone until you know them. You know why some of you have never been with Jesus? You don't know Jesus. You've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I read just this yesterday in my quiet time, you know what Jesus said? He said, if you are not for me, you are against me. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. So let me just be very frank, very honest. You're on one side of a line or the other. You're for Jesus or against Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you speak against Jesus. You're demonstrating against Jesus. You're writing against Jesus. You're talking against Jesus. But if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're on the wrong side of that line. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried, but he came back from the grave. And 11 men who were so afraid of standing for Jesus before he died took tail and ran and hid like scalded dogs. All 11 of them eventually gave their life preaching what they once didn't want to say. Why? Because Jesus did come back from the grave and he changed their life. So if today 
you're here this morning or you're watching online and you say, you know, I've, I've never given my life to that Jesus. I, I've never surrendered my life to him. Would you like to do that today? Would you like to make the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life? If the answer is yes, would you just pray this prayer right now? He's listening. Would you just pray something like this? Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe that you're alive right now. Today, confessing I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I repent and turn away from my sins. I trust you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. I accept your forgiveness of all of my sins and your gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me today. And Lord, now, for the rest of my life, help me to serve humbly, to stand strongly, to speak truthfully. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, you're in this room or you're watching right now, you prayed that prayer. Next question, were you sincere? Did you mean it? Either you did or you didn't. Yeah, I did. I meant it, okay? If you meant it, here's what I want you to do. You do it on your iPad, your iPhone, get on your computer, whichever. I want you to either go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision or get on your phone or iPad and just text Jesus to 678-255-2566. That simple. I want you to do one of those two things. When you go to one of those sites, there'll be prompts to tell you the next step you need to take as you begin your walk with God. Those two people, that brother and sister we baptized today, the very first thing that you need to do once you give your life to Christ is to follow Jesus in baptism. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, maybe you, need, maybe you needed to be saved or maybe you need to be baptized or maybe you need to join this church, you can text and let us know that. We'll work with you there. Or out in the lobby, there's a table called Connection Point. If you'd like to make a decision and let us help you get started there, go out to that table on the way out to our, to our, uh, our lunch in just a moment. Go on right out there and just say, hey, I, I, I trusted Christ today. I want to be baptized. I want to join this church. They'll help make that happen today. Now, who's your one? Who's that one person that doesn't know Jesus? Who's that one person that you need to live your life in such a way and you need to speak in such a way they know you have been with Jesus? Father, every day of my life, ever how much time I have left, nobody knows. But Lord Jesus, every day of my life, I want my wife to know. I want my kids to know. I want my grandchildren to know. I want my neighbors to know. I want strangers to know. I want my church family to know. I have been with Jesus. And that is our prayer, I pray in his name. Amen.